Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in Tallahassee's All Saints District. This is The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Presented by Hobson Chevrolet. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom Block and Keith Jones. I'm going to start the show this week in a non-traditional fashion, Keith. I'm just going to go ahead and give credit where credit is due as we say good evening on this Wednesday. You're the only voice I can think of that at the start of the year said that Sean McGuire should be the quarterback. I, I was a lone voice. I know that. You may, there may have been a couple of others. Now, I will say we're looking at a small sample size, and it'll be a different deal this week, and we don't know who will play. But I think the way that Sean played this past week against Clemson certainly at least warmed uh, folks up to the idea that, you know what, maybe McGuire does bring something to the table there as a quarterback. Everyone is down on Sean for one reason and one reason only, and that's what they the saw sp- and didn't see in the spring football game. They, they, they didn't have privy to the 14 practices before then. They didn't have privy to how he conducted himself during uh, Jameis's time here. Uh, they've forgotten about the fact that he started the Clemson game last year when Jameis was suspended. Uh, I always have believed that he had a great football IQ, that he had a great grasp of Jimbo's offense. No, he's not as fleet of foot as as, as maybe you would like, and, and that's certainly one of the things that Golson brings. But he knows how to throw the ball. He can make all the throws, especially the deep ball. I told you going into the game, vertical game was going to be open, and, and boy, wasn't it. He can make the easy throws. He can put touch passes. He can move around in the pocket enough. He's not the guy you're going to run the read option with, but he can be very, very serviceable and very, very good in this offense if you'll just give him a chance. We saw that happen, particularly in the first half uh, this past week. I would start him at Clemson, and I would have no hesitations about it. We'll see how Jimbo plays it out. And we will talk much more about this as this segment moves along. we got a great show for you today. Uh, we will talk FSU Clemson, obviously, in this segment, and with Tim Linefeld, our Seminoles.com insider, uh, NFL on Fox uh, analyst Charles Davis, uh, one of the great guys in the broadcasting business, will join us next segment. He broadcast uh, the Bucks falcons game this past week, so he was behind closed doors with the Bucks coaching staff and, and, uh, and also got to see firsthand what Jameis is doing so we'll get his uh reaction to that uh before we get get more into this though i do need to point out that this segment is uh as always uh, brought to you by madison social uh the trivia social is every tuesday night it's wednesday night here if you're wondering who the starting quarterback is going to be for fsu this weekend and you're not going to be at clemson memorial stadium go to madison social about five minutes after the game starts depending on whether fsu gets the ball first or goes on defense first that's when I predict you'll know who the starting quarterback is when he runs out with the rest of the offense and takes the field. Between now and then, all of us will have opinions. Uh, Jimbo's is the only one that counts. The bottom line, regardless of whether it's Golson or McGuire, if you want to have a good time this weekend, head to Madison Social. Uh, 10 to 4 for Saturday and Sunday brunch. Happy hour Monday through Friday from uh, 4 to 7. Good time uh, generally had by all at Madison Social. Okay, so back to the quarterback discussion, which is the big discussion, because I think if you look at this game, Clemson is number one according to the first college football playoff ranking. I happen to think a lot of that 
Well, a lot of it is deserved. I think Clemson shot to the forefront by virtue of the, Miami game. their 58-zip beatdown in Miami. Uh, but I think when you look at this game, to me the biggest difference is potentially at the quarterback position, i.e. Florida State can do some things that Clemson probably hasn't seen. Florida State's defense uh, I think would be really good if it weren't for the injuries. I still think it's, it's pretty good. And, and so I think it could be a, a very competitive game, and I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that FSU could win. But when you look at it, to me, what Clemson has at quarterback is one of the premier guys out there, and Florida State right now has some indecision. Is it Golson? I, I say indecision. I don't know that we know that Golson's been cleared. Well, he was back at practice, so there is indecision now. Is it Golson or McGuire? Well, or? we don't know that he's been cleared for contact. Right. He's been back at practice. Right. So maybe indecision is not the right word, right. but the, at the very least, there's a quarterback question right now for FSU, whereas there's clearly not one for Clemson. I think the bigger thing, though, Tom, is is that Clemson is a much more veteran team than Florida State. And 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 this is a Clemson team that has lost at least two in a row that all of them will know about the blowout up there last year in the game, uh, two years ago rather in the game last year when many of the Clemson folks think they should have won. Uh, they've got a bad taste in their mouth. They're at home. They're a veteran group, uh, as you mentioned. The playoff selection committee has got them at number one. There's a lot of motivation for this Clemson squad to not perform a Clemson. Uh, excuse me, Dabo, uh, and not mess up. By the same token, that's a two-edged sword. Who is all? Who has all the pressure on them? No question, it's in Clemson. And and I mean, and the number one position that has all the pressure on him is the quarterback. So it's going to be interesting. It's an unbelievably potentially entertaining ball game for a whole bunch of different reasons. There's not an ounce of pressure on Florida State no, really in this game no. because nobody nationally is going to everybody nationally I, I mean I haven't seen predictions they're going to pick Clemson to roll 12, this game. 12 points is or, where or, it's at now last right, I checked right so there's no pressure on FSU at all it's it's all on Clemson and if the game stays tight the longer that game goes the tighter uh, Clemson is going to get or Dabo is going to get I think that's just human nature so you would start McGuire uh, to me this is a little bit of an oversimplification but if you compare he and Golson they bring different elements to the table so if you if you start Golson, assuming that he's able to play, you get the read option, the traditional option. You get quarterback draws. You get a little more scrambability. You get no vertical passing game. So the defense, in in essence, has to you know defend horizontally, perhaps more, be aware of an elusive quarterback. Uh, but but they can load up the box, and it's tougher for Dalvin to run. If you start McGuire, maybe you're looking at sacks. Maybe some turnovers. You're not going to have that running portion of the game, but you stretch the field vertically, and in theory, you're opening the line of scrimmage for Dalvin to run. So what, so what you just said, if I'm Clemson, I put nine or ten in the box against Dalvin, and I don't let him beat me. The you're, same the same philosophy is that I'm not going to let Golson beat me with his feet. So I'm going to force the Florida State quarterback to throw the football and throw the fo- football down the field. Who do you want throwing the football down the field for Florida State, Everett or Sean? That's an easy answer. The second part of that is if things are not going well with Sean, I mean, are you better served if things don't work out with your first choice going to Everett or going the other way? I, I, don't, I don't know that that matters because though Jimbo would tell you they're much closer together because that's the coaches speak that Jimbo's always going to give you. They are so much different that I don't think it matters which one you start with and which one you go to. I would start with Sean because he's hot. If he doesn't perform well, I come in with Everett and try to do some things differently because obviously what we were trying to do with Sean didn't work. Do you see any scenario where he would play both? 
I, I know what he feels about playing, but he doesn't like that overall. I, if he does, if Jimbo plays both, if they alternate somehow, if they have some kind of system, if if he pulls one and puts one in and then goes back to the other one, uh, I, I think what you're seeing is the match, continued maturation process of Jimbo Fisher because intuitively he hates doing that. But if he in this situation sees that that's what's necessary for the overall good of the offense and and he goes against himself that's another step forward in him getting a little older and a little wiser and a little less stuck in his ways what he'll say about the reason he doesn't like it is not just consistency and continuity for the quarterback but for the other 10 players on the field very much get so. and i get that i do think he's playing the hand as well and you know middle of the week we don't know if he's going to make an announcement before saturday i don't presume that he, he is. will he will not make an announcement which means there will be no announcement which you'll means, know when the offense right. trots, up, trots out there which means clemson has to spend time preparing for a bigger now i do think that this is interesting you know sean's not a runner say it's sean could you see a read option oh, yeah. or a play action just because clemson defensively will say oh sean's in so we got to defend this Lo and behold, you get something you don't expect there. Even though if it was Everett running it, you'd expect, and then you, then they, then the opposite. Everett comes in and you see, and you throw a deep ball. I mean, I I think there is some interesting thing. I don't know if he would play too, though. I just don't know, but it would be interesting to see. Yeah, T- time will tell. And, and obviously, Saturday, as I mentioned, for a number of reasons, is going to be unbelievably entertaining. It, oh, no question about it. I, I do think it's going to be a better game than uh, than than what maybe is expected. Well, and we'll remind you as Veteran Days approaches that you've got a uh, you may be looking for a way to honor your active duty men and women primary bank and deer lake middle school have the answer a giant care package for the troops between now and thursday thursday november the 5th stop by any tallahassee primary bank location and they will gladly accept your donation what do you need to bring by personal items like disposable razors soap and body wash q-tips food items such as hard candy breakfast bars and that instant coffee pack one like starbucks via or fun items like paperback novels, DVDs, playing cards. Always love those playing cards. You and I got to get into that sometime. Uh, the seventh graders at Deer Lake Middle School will package everything as part of their observation of Veterans Day. Primary and bank ships them to the troops for the holidays make a difference in the lives of our men and women in uniform. Remember, Primary and Bank, on or before this Thursday, November 5th, for a complete list of requested items, visit trymybank.com. Tommy? Playing cards is just another way for me to take your money, KJ. Oh, oh, I'll accept that. (laughs) All right. Charles Davis from uh, NFL on Fox will join us next. We'll shift gears from FSU Clemson, talk Jameis Winston and the Bucks uh, for just a little bit as we uh, are just getting cranked up here on the front row. Listening to the front row with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Got a question? Email them at the front row at 979espnradio.com. Here's Tom and Keith. And welcome back, everybody. It is FSU Clemson week, but uh, we're going to switch gears for just a little bit. Uh, Keith and I were both watching the the Bucks play on Sunday, and lo and behold, uh, a gentleman we had the pleasure of working with years ago, uh, since he has advanced his career, and Keith, you and I are still in the same uh, humble position here in Tallahassee, but that's it. <laughs> Let's welcome NFL on Fox analyst Charles Davis to the program. CD, how are you? 
I'm doing great. And you know what they say about being in Tallahassee. If you're there, why would you want to be anywhere else? There you go. So, See, I mean, Charles, you I always know you guys one bit. <laughs> well, for those who don't know uh, or, or don't recall, Charles, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I, to me, it feels like maybe you broke on the national scene when uh, you did that Boise State, Oklahoma Fiesta Bowl. But I, I'm probably leaving something out. But we worked with you back in the Sunshine Network in uh, Sun Sports days. But uh, congratulations yeah. on the success and the way your career's taken off, Charles. Well, thank you. I appreciate it, guys. You guys are awfully kind. And, you know, the way I look at it, all of us have careers. All of us are still working. So I think all three of us are doing just fine. Yeah, but how come it. How come you've retained all your good looks and your hair, and I've gotten fat and Tommy's losing his hair? What are we doing wrong here? <laughs> well, I don't know that that's really true, KJ. Um, I wear bigger clothes. <laughs> I just shave the hair. I shave what little hair I have down a little bit to make people think I might still have some. And the truth is, I really don't. I might have to start going with that uh, painted on look before too much longer. <laughs> and the look, the looks thing, I never quite got that because you know, listen, I put like all of us, we played ball in high school, and you know, we all had those dreams of you know, hey, I'm going to go out with the head cheerleader and the whole thing like that. Never once, never once. <laughs> so, well listen Char- i'm just happy to be here yeah and we're happy that you're taking a few minutes to spend with us here uh you know you you uh obviously have broadcast uh, at the college you know college games for several years and nfl games now and uh yeah. as you can uh surmise uh there's a lot of interest in Jameis winston and how he ultimately does at the next level amongst uh florida state fans and so uh, you know, encapsulating or capturing what he's done this year. It was a rocky start, but it seems like he's found his sea legs and he's playing pretty well right now. So I know that it, since you broadcast the Bucks game this past week, you had a chance yeah. not just to see him play live, but you also had a chance to meet behind the scenes with the coaches and coordinators and sort of get the skinny on on what they think about how he's progressing. So let's just start the conversation there. What what were your observations uh, watching him lead the Bucks to an overtime win over the Falcons this past week? Well, I think as as you guys know from from having done this many many years, we are more in a snapshot time frame than ever before. In other words, whatever that snapshot is at the moment, that's who that person is. <laughs> that's how they're going to be in the future. We can go ahead and book it. He's a top ten. No, he's a bottom ten. No, he's a. You know what I'm talking about, right? And let's face it, for Jameis being tied with Marcus Mariota. One, two in the draft, quarterbacks. It's like that in the league. Peyton Manning, Ryan Leaf went one and two. Andrew Luck, RG3, one and two in recent years. I could quote a few more, but the truth of the matter is, even if they're not one and two, whoever the top two quarterbacks are in the draft, especially if they're taken in the top part of the draft, even if it's one and three, one and five, they're linked. And as a general rule, one does pretty well in the league, and one doesn't, just like our evaluations of them, 50-50. I said before this season I thought that this would, these two would break that mold, that both of them would be successful in the league. Okay, so I was on record for it, and I've seen nothing to change that. Jameis, in a nutshell, let's face it, what he's done in the last three weeks in terms of progress has really been, I don't want to call it astounding, because that's, that, that's saying that it's a major surprise to us. His talent is not a surprise. That's never been the issue. His ability to process, his, his football IQ, never been the issue. The off-the-field stuff, I think people thought that that spilled over into his life as a general rule. And the truth of the matter is that's, that's really not true either. And so unless some incredible hiccup happens, I think we're starting to see that, okay, the Jameis Winston, if you did your homework – 
And, you know, KJ knows that I called him a bunch of times in, in the draft process. I need to get a better sense of this kid. Help me out. And he helped me greatly with that. That's what you're getting. If you go to Tampa Bay now and you go around that organization, and I dare you to walk through that building to secretaries, to equipment people, to trainers, to whatever, and say a bad word about Jameis because they'll take you and fight you right now. That's the effect he has on people. And a lot of people thought it might be a false effect. A lot of people thought it was fake, that there was a con in there. I think as we keep going, people are realizing that maybe that's not true and what you're getting is the best. On the field, what I saw on Sunday, I saw Lovey Smith put his coaching career in real peril going forward on fourth and one at his own 40 late in the game with a seven-point lead. He could have punted the ball there, and no one would have said boo, even if Atlanta went down and scored the points. But he put himself in a spot where you're going to leave a short field if you don't get it. Atlanta goes down and scores. you got a tie game. You may lose for the second week in a row in heartbreaking fashion. He went for it. I thought that that was strictly because of how he feels about his young quarterback. And, and, and definitely they had lost the game the week before with the defense. But I really thought that that was more – this kid I believe in, and that's what he was communicating to the team. And, and, you know, I won't bore you anymore. You saw the game. Look at some of the plays he made that weren't just athletic plays. They were IQ plays. Not pitching the ball to Doug Martin on the shovel pass because he got pushed back into it, but knowing that this is where it was blocked, I'm going to run there with it, scoring a touchdown. You know, things of that nature, that's what we're seeing. And I'll leave you with this. I know there's a paper in Tennessee that every week does a Jameis Winston-Marcus Mariota comparison chart. I wouldn't be surprised if they quit doing it very soon, not because it's a, a shot against Marcus, but Jameis is ascending, Marcus has missed the last two weeks, and Tennessee is in, in, in bad trouble with, with the record. Tampa has new life now, and, and right now they're the hot team. But I do believe both will be successful, but Winston – there's been something special that's gone on there for it, it in Tampa. And for those of you who know him best, you're not, I, I wouldn't say that you're surprised at all, but I think you're probably gratified in a lot of ways. CD, uh, while you were watching Winston and commenting on Winston, Florida State had another kid. He's, he's a, a year removed, if you will, in, in Freeman. What did you see in him, and what do you hear around the league about the, this, uh, this new guy that's uh, kind of contending for the NFL rushing title? Yeah, you know, it's kind of funny because the Atlanta people will tell you, well, we knew this last year. And I always laugh because, uh, you know, I have good friends there, and every time they they say that, I say, well, if you knew it last year, why don't you play him? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're, you're telling me you saw this last year, yeah, you kept trotting out Steven Jackson. And I love Steven Jackson as much as anyone, but Steven was like 185 last year. It was over, and anyone could see that, yet they really still didn't play him. So they went into this year. They even drafted another back in Tevin Coleman. They both had hamstring issues. Tevin Coleman got the first two starts of the year. So take it a step further. You guys knew this. <laughs> they were both really in the same health, yet Tevin Coleman gets the first two starts. Well, Tevin's not getting that job back unless there's an injury because Devontae Freeman has taken it and locked it down. So the, I've said this multiple times. The, the, the fury and joy that he plays with, and I think that you can do both. Is something to behold. And the way I evaluated him coming out of school was he was a guy that I thought was jack-of-all-trades, traits, you know, jack-of-all-trades. I never said he wasn't the master of things, but I'll be honest with you. I missed 
because I wasn't sure he was a true lead back. I thought he was a guy who could do everything for you, but I didn't know if he was going to be the guy you would say, okay, I'm going to put it in your chest 20-something times per game, and you're going to take it. Well, he can do all that and more. It's been awfully impressive, and Atlanta is ecstatic to have him, and he sets the tone, the tone totally for their offense now. Have you – you may not have because of the way the contracts work. Have you had a Jaguars game this year, Charles? I have not. I went up to their training camp uh, in the summer and got to watch a day's worth of practice, but I have not had a Jaguars game. Any anecdotes about Telvin Smith? I don't watch the Jags a whole lot. But, you know, he was a guy that was undersized coming out, and they said, oh, he's maybe yeah. a tweener. And, and then you look, and he's like third in the league in tackles. And, I, I mean, I don't watch him enough to know. He may be their best defender, though. Yeah, he could very easily be called that. Since Derek Marks was hurt coming into the season, so that probably took him out of the running for a while. But Telvin Smith has become that guy where, guess what? Every time there's a snap, you expect him to be pulled off the ball carrier. And what he's also done, because we all covered college football so much, we've been saying this for a while, we're finally seeing the college game have an influence on the NFL. Remember when we were younger, that never happened? Because the old NFL guys would spit tobacco and say, we ain't doing that Joe College stuff around here. Well, guess what? Smaller, lighter linebackers can get on the field and play. Telvin Smith looks like a strong safety, is playing linebacker, and I'll show you the influence beyond that. Because Telvin Smith has been a starter for two years now. Look in Arizona, Dayon Buchanan, a strong safety in college, essentially playing middle linebacker in most sets for Arizona Cardinals is a force. Tony Jefferson, another safety, playing a lot of linebacker stuff. The St. Louis Rams, Alec Ogletree, who's a terrific linebacker at Georgia and was having a monster year. He gets hurt in a game that I was doing. Guess who they replaced him with? Mark Barron. Remember the safety from Alabama? Mm -hmm. Mark Barron is playing outside linebacker now. This isn't just a gimmick, nickel set, what have you. He's playing outside linebacker somewhere in the 215 range. They've found that speed is what they're looking for, the way they throw the ball in the NFL now. They want those lighter guys on the field who can cover. And these guys are tough enough to handle it when you do decide to run the football at them. We're talking with Charles Davis, NFL on Fox analyst. And, uh, Charles, you just mentioned the college game. And, obviously, you've got a lot of experience. Uh, you know, well, you're a former college athlete, uh, obviously student athlete at the University of Tennessee. You worked in college athletics. You broadcast college athletics. I, the the Miami Duke debacle from last week. I'm just curious your perspective, not on uh, on what happened, but but more on how you fix it uh, specifically. There's there's sort of some talk behind the scenes that maybe colleges will go to a you know a universal replay headquarters for all the games. I'm curious your thoughts on that, and also uh, if you see any way that we could get past conference officials and just get Power Five affiliated officials or something like that to so there's more consistency and maybe an elimination of the perception of conference bias from from one officiating crew to the next. It's a great question, Tom, and and I think what's happening is there's been movement towards centralizing the officiating, but they haven't been able to get there yet. I don't know that you'll be able to have one NCAA office like the NFL does, where you call in New York on every game and they sit in a control room because there's just too many games. But I think what you could do is centralize it within the conference itself. So the ACC sits in Greensboro, their director of officials and his staff, they sit there and they have a, a, a play that they need to go over. They could be analyzing it there. Like we have Mike Prayer for Fox. They could have their person. Um, 
I think you could do it for there. The SEC would be in Birmingham and Big Ten in, in, in Chicago and right on down the line, ramping up into a centralized deal. I think that that could happen, but I don't think you could just have one <laughs> right. the number of college games played. I mean, you wouldn't be able to have nearly enough staff on a, on a single college Saturday. But if you did it by conference now, still ramping up into a national deal, I think you could pull it off. I think, obviously, that the Miami-Duke game was a debacle. I would love to just award that victory to Duke for that play, but I think you open up a monster can of worms because now how many other replays or fouls were missed during the game, and when do we determine exactly when that had an effect and didn't have an effect? And You know, you guys know what I'm talking about. I also know this. Back in the good old days when we were, you know, we lads and maybe even before that, you know what schools used to do when they got wins like this? They forfeit it. In the good old days, Miami would have called up and said, "You know, some we can't, we can't take this win." I'm pretty it's not right. I'm pretty sure David Cutcliffe is not sitting by his phone expecting that call. Though, <laughs> no, 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 it's not going to happen. Listen, remember Colorado, Missouri? Mm-hmm. Colorado won the national title and they got the fifth down. There was a, there was a cry out, a cry out then to say, "Hold up a second, guy, you get a fifth down. Should you really? Are you really going to take this one?" And Bill McCartney took it and held up a national championship trophy at the end of the year, did Well, I had a special so on him last night era. about all that. <laughs> yeah, we're in a different era, a different time. And I just think that when we're trying to correct errors like that, we've kind of said, listen, we're tr- this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to get it right. It doesn't always happen. And we all have to live with it. If we didn't have replay at all, you know, the, the result would have been perfect for Duke, right? Because the flags were dropped. And back then, you didn't pick up flags and wave them off that way. But the last thing I will say, and I think we all respect the heck out of officials because I don't want to do it. I may get mad at them when I'm watching my kid play. I may get mad at them watching games and think, how'd you miss that call? But you don't see me at the clinic. You don't see me volunteering to do it. You don't see me putting myself on the line. So I respect the heck out of these people to go out and do it. But if they're going to be out there, they need to get it right. And if they don't get it right, there are consequences. And I see those happening. Now, it's not enough for Duke, as we well know, and it's not going to be enough for Duke. But that's kind of the world we live in, and they're going to have to just kind of man up on the whole thing. And it's a a horrible lesson for people, but it's just kind of how it goes. Because if we go back in the first half and say, well, you missed this one on Duke, it could have been a big play. I just think it's a lot. And the last thing I'll say is, in doing games, this is going to sound horrible, but I think we've got to re- revisit who's sitting in the replay booth. Because the people who are sitting in the replay booth are the retired For, officials. Former officials. Field. And you have a great brotherhood there that you don't want to mess up your guys on the field. And the second thing is, I'll just say it, I'm 50, so you know I'm not a youngster anymore. I don't think they're as sharp up there. Let's just be frank about the whole thing. Every play has to be reviewed in college football. And that thing's just flipping by. Boom, 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 boom. I think they've got to start rethinking replay and say replay has to be as important to us as those guys on the field. Or, or maybe more important. Make it, we, or we, maybe we more need to make important. it prestigious enough to put those people in the booth that maybe can handle those replays coming at them. Yep, I agree. The problem is it's not prestigious enough, so we're not doing it. But we need to do that because if we're saying it's important <laughs> – you can make it, make it CD. So. You can make it prestigious by how you compensate them. 
Bingo. Thank you, KJ. Exactly where I was headed. <laughs> All right. Hey, listen, Charles, we know you got to get running. We appreciate uh, several minutes of your, of your time. Always great to uh, flip around the TV on Sunday and, uh, and listen to you call games. Congratulations again on your success. Enjoy the run. Very much so, CD. Hey, appreciate thanks, the time. Thanks for having me, guys. You guys keep doing your thing, and let's see how this thing turns out. Big one this week, FSU Clemson. It's going to be fun. It is. It is. We'll break down the rest of that when we come back. But, Charles, thanks again. That is Charles Davis from uh, NFL on Fox, and uh, we'll react to some of what he said there when we continue and get back into FSU Clemson as well. This is The Front Row. We're back with more after this. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in Tallahassee's All Saints District, this is The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones, presented by Hobson Chevrolet. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom Block and Keith Jones. Tom and Keith back with you. Great show so far. More Florida State Clemson talk coming up next segment with our Seminoles.com insider Tim Linnefelt. I will uh, remind you that this segment is brought to you by the Flying Bear Great American Grill. 6265 Old Water Oak Road. If you don't know where that is, think of it as just head north on Tallahassee. Thomasville Road. On Thomasville, I beg your pardon. Northeast Tallahassee. It's uh, it's on the left there. Great place. Uh, my family uh, pops in there often and uh, invites you to do the same. Thanks to uh, Flying Bear for jumping on board. And as we continue this discussion, by the way, they're open 11 to 9 uh, during the week and then 11 to 10 on Friday and Saturday. Maybe as we reflect back to last uh, segment's conversation about the officiating command center, just get a few cocktails. There's enough TV screens there. I mean, if people at the bar, this is why this is such an issue, honestly. If well, you can well, be sitting in a bar and you can figure out the call is wrong, how can the replay official not figure that out when he's and, uh, and sober I, in a booth looking at every replay known to mankind? And, and I didn't want to mention the CD because he, he spent the majority of his time in the last three or four or five years uh, you know, at the, at, the, at the NFL level. But the ACC has that. They have a command center in Greensboro as we speak. They can contact and watch every game. They can overturn the official in the booth if they want to. Uh, I think Charles made an excellent point that, that we don't talk about enough, and that is the, the, the fraternity that is referees, just like the fraternity that is assistant coaches and head coaches at the various levels. You don't want to one-up or whatever someone. But I think he made a very good point. I echoed it that, that, that the replay official needs to be more prominent, more uh, uh, important, and have greater authority than the referee on the field. That The one in the booth needs to be the one in command, and the one in the booth needs to be in contact with Greensboro or wherever talking with someone who has the authority to say, no, I'm going to overturn that. I'll suggest a few things. First of all, as many replay angles as there are, depending on which broadcast, it may be that you need two replay officials, you know, and, and somebody works these four or five replays in the same play. Somebody else is working another four or five and could stop it. But the, the bigger point, uh, I, I do think a, some sort of command center beyond the ACC at some the power five at the very least now that they've separated themselves the power five could come together and get more of a unified consistent process across the centralized process I think I think what I would take is your your idea you can't have a central system monitoring all the games for the reasons that Charles pointed out there's too many games going on at the same time so you could have the central system in each conference office 
let's say the big five, you'd have five centralized places. The bigger question that, that you're speaking to is you need to rotate the crews. In other words, a crew doesn't need to do only ACC games. You need to get those people over on the West Coast, get them in the middle of the state, uh, country, that type of thing, so that it so that the biased that this is a totally ACC crew or a totally SEC crew goes away. Well, that th- you can affect immediately. Th- think about that bias as it relates to a non-conference game, like the the Chris Ricks PK Sam game down in Florida, where there was this perception on ACC refs versus SEC refs. But then think about it as it relates to Miami Duke last week, and oh, the officials came together and they wanted to hose Duke at the end. You know that that I remember when Florida State's not getting calls. They don't need to be conference affiliated. There can there's five power five well, conferences. It would increase your travel costs. If you had a national pool of crews, because right now no, it wouldn't, it would not increase your cost. Well, it potentially would increase them a little, but we're haggling over details that are workable, so it's not worth right. It we're agreeing and disagreeing. Yeah, yeah, we're not. It's not worth exhausting energy on that. But you could very easily put together if every conference has what eight crews, you could have a Power Five system where there's forty national crews, and you assign them and you crew them. And guess who we've got this weekend? We've got a Power Five crew, and we never pay attention to whether that crew has bias towards this school whether or they that conference. Whether they worked a Pac-12 game the game before, or whether they're working the SEC that, game that the ne- next. That needs to happen, and yeah. saying it can't happen is simple, simply laziness. Because they have the fun. But the second thing goes beyond bias. It goes be- to. Uh, consistency in what points are emphasized and how games are called. You watch an ACC game and you see 27 holding calls. You watch an SEC game and you don't. We all know you can call holding on every play. Well, let's get it enforced the same way or at least more consistently because you don't watch an NFL game and go, oh, well, that's this crew. And they always call call illegal hands to the face on this crew. You don't don't look at it that way. And and so to me, that's a simple – and here's one more thing while we're on this. Make the crew chief available to the media. When you, if you don't want to do it on a regular game to game basis, when you have what happened the other night, and now everybody is going, that whole crew just reviewed block in the back and picked it up, which you can't do. Give the ref a chance to explain to the media that he didn't communicate it well, and then they actually picked up that flag from you know conversation on the field because you're just leading to more conspiracy theories by not letting them talk. And one last thing. Change the outcome. You can do that whether it takes this, nine minutes this or it takes on, nine we days. We disagree on this whole. And here's here's the argument, Tommy. Number one, you put special I'm emphasis. On this one. You put special emphasis on plays already. Every scoring play is reviewed. Okay, coach can make a decision to ask for a play to remove, be reviewed. That makes that one important. You change the timing rules at the end of each half when the ball goes out of bounds. You change how you approach things at the end of the half and when there's a clear-cut play and it's the play that made the difference in the ball game Miami scored or they didn't scored and the game was over and you can go back and look at the tape and you can say no we missed this or we didn't call this right or that was incorrect you can change it you can change the outcome because why are we doing this to get it right that wasn't right and and don't give me the argument that there's 70 other plays and we pick that well, that's, one play to that's be exactly the, the argument i'll give you and we because, don't have a lot of time to get into this i'm with charles on we this one Keith. make that deci- we review scoring plays why don't we review every play well they did review that play they just got it wrong so i mean how far after the fact are you going to do it I mean, and, and we change fenner lane fenner has some photographic evidence that he was in are we going to go back and change that result we didn't have i mean replay tk effect. already did it we didn't have replay effect but we do, we now, do now we have the image let's go ahead and do it no 
we did. I got another one. Let's bring it to Miami. Okay, so the Miami FSU game in '09. Go away. Go away. Go away. Jarman Fortson drops the ball. Right. Go away. There was debate then. Was there still one or two seconds left? Let's replay that. Turns out there was one second left. So let's get everybody back on the field and let Ponder and them run one more play. No, the game was over in this one. You're well, not saying the, bring back another play. I'm saying the game was over. Look at the tape. I'm just saying make it's the correct pa- call. I'm saying it's Pandora's box if you go down that road now. I don't have a problem. I with do Pandora. say that this problem is not going away. I think Pandora's L- great. Let me tell I you what. You give a Pandora gift for your wife. You get a lot of 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 the problem attaboys. with that is I never know which charm I've already gotten her and which ones are left so I, I, that has gotten me in trouble oh i already got you that one last christmas but that's another story here's what he's going to say it's going to make it worse okay if duke doesn't win the coastal because they're one win short this problem gets magnified here's another one i haven't heard people talk about miami is now five and three they play virginia georgia tech Pitt, and north carolina okay so they go two and two well at five and you know if, if the point is what if they go one and three against that stretch? They make a bowl because of that. The ACC now has one more bowl eligible team because of what happened last week. Compared to if Miami was four and four right now, and only wins one more game, well, so the, the, we got to we got to wrap up. But think of this also: what if it ends up being a three and four way tie because of that, right? And not a clear cut winner in that division. I'm going to resolve this by saying that simply that the amount of empathy for Duke getting hosed in light of what's happened on the basketball court since the beginning of ACC play in 1953 has shocked me because I don't really think that that many people feel that badly for Duke. Alexander I, I, Johnson still wants to know what he did to get teed up at Cameron Indoor. I don't care who it was. Get it right, and if you've got it on tape, make the decision. All right. According to Keith, we're going to be mailing out new national championship trophies to lots of schools based on the results when we go back and look at them. We're going to shift back to FSU and Clemson after this. Tim Lenefelt will join us. We're over time as usual. Tom Lang's giving us the stare. This is the front row. The morning sun when it's in your face really shows your Listening to the front row with Tom Block and Keith Jones only on 97.9 ESPN Radio. Here's Tom and Keith. All right, welcome back. Good Lord, Keith. We, that's new. We became Kornheiser and Wilbon last segment, minute, so though, let's shift gears that's here. New bump music. That is. That's new. We're diversifying here at the front row. Well, now. One thing that is consistent, though, is uh, it's time for our Seminoles.com Insider Report. I'll remind you that Jimbo Fisher's post-game press conference streams live following every home game. You can catch his Monday presser on Seminoles.com. Uh, we're into to the overlap with basketball, so there's plenty of content on Seminoles.com about uh, basketball and all the other sports. One thing is, as we welcome in our Seminoles.com Insider, Tim Linnefeld, one thing you generally don't find on Seminoles.com, though, Tim, is is a recap of how the Mets season finished up. Unless there's a Sean Gilmartin slant to it, I don't think we're going to find that on Seminoles.com. Am I correct? Yeah, well, maybe we could catch up with Sean over the next couple of weeks, but uh, but it might take a little bit of time to, to get that one. And we need to let our friend Mr. Len grieve a little bit before we open up that wound, I think. Yeah, well, I just opened it up. That was uh, purely for uh, Tom Lang, who's he's, still mourning he, the he's Mets. He's in the right corner now. of the studio in the fetal position. Yeah, but we'll try to get through this segment anyway. All right, Tim, thanks for joining us as always. We've, we've had a good show, and uh, we spent the first segment on the quarterback uh, topic. So that's obviously where we'll start. Uh, we are both of the assumption that uh, we'll know the starting quarterback when the offense takes the field on Saturday. I don't know if you agree with that, but who do you think will be the starting quarterback? Yeah, I think you're you're just about right on your time frame, because if nothing else, why, why would you announce it any time sooner? But 
I think I'm probably in agreement with with most everyone when in that my gut says it's probably going to be Sean McGuire. Although to be quite honest with you, I don't know that it's as big of a slam dunk as a lot of people would have you believe. Uh, mainly because I think that Clemson's defensive front is going to be so much more challenging than was Syracuse's, and so you know ha- having Everett Golson's mobility, even if it's just a little bit of an advantage, uh, it would at least be tempting. But given what Sean did last week, I think it would be hard to go away from him for this game. I asked Keith the same question I'll ask you. Do you see any scenario in which Jimbo plays both? Not meaning one one starts and did bad and you replaced him, but I mean actually having a plan where both are involved in the offense. Do it, do it by design, you mean? Yeah, and I'm, no. not, I'm not suggesting Doug Johnson, Noah Brindice here alternating plays. but Right. No, I, I really don't think so. I, I kind of actually toyed with that idea last night when I was sitting there thinking, um, and I thought, you know, it would, be, it would be something for him to do and just totally throw everybody off. And that's the one thing I think he could do that would really surprise Clemson would be the true quarterback rotation. I, I just don't think that that's Jimbo's style. I don't think that's what he wants to do. And I'm not sure that, that that's what his offense is best suited for. I think you want a guy to go in there, get in a rhythm and, and, and get a feel for the game, you know, not just on a play to play basis, on a, but on a drive to drive basis. And he said, you know, for, for years now, not just this year, that when, you know, he commits to a guy, that's his guy. So it would be really, really different and out of character for him to go to two quarterbacks. Uh, if I'm the uh, Clemson Tigers, Tim, uh, my bigger concern is is whether Dalvin Cook is in that backfield or not, not the quarterback from this standpoint. Obviously, you want to try to make Florida State's uh, offense one-dimensional. Dimension, With Cook in there, I'm, I'm trying to take the run away from Florida State, uh, regardless of who the quarterback is. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely, and and that's probably the uh, the other little secret to this this whole discussion is that it, it might not matter at least in terms of you know what's most important because if, if Dalvin Cook is himself and is the explosive dynamic player that we've seen over the first half of the season, then Florida State's chances of winning this game increase exponentially. And if he's not, then those chances decrease by just about as much. And I'm not sure it matters who's under center at that point. Is Terrence Smith going to play this week? Do you think? I think he will. Uh, I, I wonder, you know, he's been seem like he's been getting so close to, to getting back. He's been practicing for a couple of weeks now. I wonder if they wanted to give him just one more week to get right. And, and if there's ever a week when they do need him, it would be this week. So my, I don't, I don't know for sure, but, but if I had to pick on a Wednesday before a Saturday game, I think he's going to play. I thought the offensive line, particularly in the second half, Tim, performed about as well as all year long as it relates to the running game. Uh, now that we're three days into Clemson prep and, and, and Syracuse behind us, what, what were the coaches saying? What are the kids saying about the performance of that offensive line? I think they're pretty pleased. And, and you know, considering that this is, what, the, the 15th or 16th uh, combination that they've had this season, that's a, a bit of an exaggeration, but not too much. And we saw Alec Everly get his first career start at center. We saw, um, oh, oh gosh, uh, uh, Brock Rubel. I'm sorry, Brock Rubel. Uh, saw Brock Rubel get the uh, get the right tackle position again because of injuries. Uh, and all things considered, I thought they did a pretty good job. A few misses. Uh, I thought there was one. I think Chad Mavetti missed it, that Sean McGuire just, just got hit pretty hard on. But, uh, but overall, I thought they had maybe their best game of the season, both in pass protection and run blocking. And um, and so yeah, so we'll see. It, it's going to be interesting if if Kareem R is healthy and ready to go. If Derek Kelly is healthy and ready to go, uh, we just don't know yet. But, but given the success that they had last week, I don't know that anybody's job is fully set in stone except for Rod Johnson's. And, and so you know, if you have a chance to play your way into a starting job, I think you've got it. So you know, wouldn't wouldn't shock me if uh, if they went with the same starting five as they did last week. 
Yeah, I think I think Eberly probably will be the first center out there over over Hofeld. It'll be interesting to see. So all that said, uh, what's the uh, this game sets up as as most have talked about, and Keith and I as well. As as all the pressure is absolutely on Clemson. Uh, I mean, so to me, Florida State should play free, and Jimbo coaches that way in, in big games. He generally has a very good plan going into games like this. I mean, what do you expect to see in terms of, of how this thing plays out and how Florida State looks against, obviously, its stiffest test of the season? See, I don't know that I buy into the, the pressure on Clemson thing just yet. Uh, I think it depends on how that game goes. I think right now Clemson is, is pretty confident. I think they probably believe that they're the better team. I think they look at the way things have gone over the last couple of years and, and think that you know, this this is just my thought. But rather than thinking, you know, if we don't do it now, then when? I think it's more like, a, well, this is our time. Everything is set up for us. We're at home. I think, you know, looking at results, they they have a reason to think that they're probably a better team. Now that can change in a hurry if Florida State has some things go their way uh, in the early part of that game. You know, if, if it's me and I'm Florida State, and then this is another thing that goes against what Jimbo Fisher likes to do. But if it's me, I want the ball to start that game, and I want to march down the field and score a touchdown, and I want a seven nothing lead. Uh, in that stadium and in that game if I'm Florida State. Now, we'll see if that's even a possibility uh, or, or if that's something that Jimbo Fisher wants to do. But, but to me, there is no better scenario than getting the ball, going down the field for a quick score, and, and, and getting up before Deshaun Watson and, and his cohorts even get a chance to touch it. And, and I think your, your point about the stadium and, and whether Clemson does or doesn't have pressure on them is also magnified by the fact that the majority of the Florida State kids have never played in Death Valley before. This is a very young Florida State squad. And, and I'm telling you, having, having been in stadiums like that as a player, as a broadcaster, you know, when you're having to go back to hand signals versus communicating verbally, when you're having to go with silent count, which we saw Florida State struggle with in Atlanta, um, you know, you, it takes a couple of three series to get, get used to that white noise being so onerous on you. And, and Florida State kids haven't been there before. It's going to be a new experience for them. Well, think about the stadiums that Florida State has played and the environment that Florida State has played in on the road this year. You played a Friday night game in front of a, a, a stadium that was maybe two-thirds full at Boston College, a, a rainy game at, at Wake Forest that had maybe 25,000 people in it, and then Georgia Tech, which was definitely loud, and I don't mean to take anything away from that, and we saw how that game played out. But, you know, there's gonna, there, there's 55,000 people at that game. There's going to be almost twice that much uh, on Saturday at, at Death Valley. So, yeah, and, and you know, when you see – the way the offensive line struggled with the uh, with the snap counts and the false starts at, at Georgia Tech, you know, it, it definitely makes you nervous for Clemson. So it'll be a good chance to see just how far they've come. But but you know, make no mistake about it, you know, a lot of those guys, this will be the, the most difficult most difficult experience uh, road experience that they've had by a pretty wide margin. When we talk Clemson, Florida State, we always talk the Punk Ruski. I think this is what the twenty sixth or twenty seventh anniversary of that. Uh, when you talk Coach Bowden, you know you're always going to have a reverse or two, whether you need them or not. Tim Jimbo doesn't have trick plays, or he certainly hasn't shown them through five plus years as a head coach. Might there be something up their sleeve? We hear about Kermit running out of the uh, the uh, uh, the backfield at the quarterback position, or might there be some other wrinkles that uh, Jimbo has up his sleeve? I think there could be. As for what, you know, who, who has any idea? But, but yeah, I think for a game like this, you like to have something in your back pocket. And, and you know, you mentioned that Jimbo doesn't have trick plays. Well, it's been on very rare occasions that he's needed uh, any trick plays. So understood. You know, I think I think he uh, I think he I think he has a couple that that he's he's sort of saved. I think you know we've seen some things over the years that that you know look like potential interesting formations or interesting plays that have never come to fruition. So. 
yeah, I think everything's on the table for a game like this. And if you find yourself, you know, in a close game in the third quarter or the fourth quarter, and you and you need a spark, then maybe it's something that that you could uh, you could go to. So give us a prediction, Tim. Put <laughs> put you right on the spot. I think they're going to play on Saturday. Beyond that, I'm I'm just not sure yet. Kick at about three thirty plus or minus, give or take. So if somebody goes to Seminoles dot com, they can actually find a prediction from you, though. Not, not not on Wednesday, man. I can't make my predictions on Wednesday. Well, no, but I'm giving you a chance to tee up the website. At what time and what day oh, should yeah. somebody go to find out uh, what you were good, predicting? Good call. I'm not very good at this. Uh, I uh, <laughs> I will publish my uh, my full game preview column, and including my final thoughts in, in which way I'm leaning. That'll go up on Friday morning on Seminoles.com. All right. Well, we'll tell uh, campus uh, IT to be prepared for the barrage <laughs> of activity that goes to Seminoles.com at that time. Go down. The uh, the hamsters and the wheels are going to be working extra hard on Thursday night and Friday morning. You know, they've been working extra hard here in the studio today, I can assure you. Hey, Tim, thanks as always. You got it, guys. Anytime. All right. That is our Seminoles.com insight. We just let him right off the hook. He has no prediction. <laughs> I guess that means if I'm going to bash him, we actually need to make predictions next segment. Oh, great. All right. Uh, once again, uh, catch Jimbo Fisher's uh, post-game press conference. Uh, streams live on Seminoles.com immediately after every home game. His Monday presser streams live, same thing. And Friday mornings, you can catch Tim Linnefeld's content to find out who, uh, who he's predicting and, and his keen insight into this FSU-Clemson game. We'll come back and wrap things up on the front row right after this. No dark sarcasm in the classroom. You're listening to The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Got a question? Email them at thefrontrow at 979espnradio.com. Here's Tom and Keith. All right, just a couple minutes before we get out of here. Hope you've enjoyed uh, this week's show. Thanks to Charles Davis uh, for joining us for his insight on Jameis and Tim Linnefeld, as always. Uh, although, uh, maybe it's to his credit that he wants to go through the entire week, have the full injury report from both teams before he makes a prediction well and that's one you on the other hand keith i'm not letting you off the hook well understood first comment you know we we don't know as we sit here we don't know yet if golson has been officially cleared uh those concussion symptoms i mean you know that's in the doctor's hands and and i can assure you uh that jimbo wants him available but doesn't want him to jeopardize his health so you know it may it may not even be a jimbo call about who starts given the medical side of it. I don't think Florida State can win this ballgame on Saturday. What I hope happens is that Florida State keeps it tight. I'm I'm fearful, though I don't think the probability is high, I'm fearful of Clemson getting on a roll and rolling Florida State, not as bad as they did Miami, but something similar to what Florida State did to the Tigers two years ago. That is a possibility, probability very small, I think. I want Florida State to go out and play this game and be competitive to stay with Clemson, this is as good a, a team as Florida State has faced this year by far. This is a better team than Oregon last year that Florida State lost to in the playoffs. And so technically speaking, this might be as big a game as Jimbo has coached in. There may be two or three more over the last six years, five and a half years, that rank up there, obviously Auburn included. But but this is a huge contest against a very good football team that I just hope Florida State rises to, plays as well as they can. I will not be disappointed if they lose this ball game as if it's a close game. Of course, I'm on the home team radio network, and I sit next to Coach Fisher every Sunday, and I'd like to continue in that role. I agree with everything you just said, but 
but I have to take FSU for the sake of uh, my own self-preservation. I mean, <laughs> why not, right? <laughs> I do think uh, this defense is better than the defense FSU tried it out against Oregon last year in Pasadena, though. But if you turn it over five or six times, you're going to get boat raced. The same well, obviously, you, you know, I'm a, and I'm a product of Coach Bowden, and he would always talk about that. In fact, uh, on a reunion a couple years, a couple weeks ago, we were, we're talking. We're about, up against the yeah, wall, talking about things. You know, <laughs> you know, turnovers. Coach Bowden always talk about turnovers. Turnovers makes make the game totally different. Uh, I just hope Florida State hangs on to the ball, and plays well. I, I'll be excited. This this is a great opportunity for the ACC to showcase their two best clubs. All righty, and, uh, and we won't have the same officiating crew from Duke and Miami. We do know that. All right, he's Keith. I'm Tom. We'll do this again next week. Have a great week, everybody.